Hello world. Quickly, I want to plug the new website. Uh, we have a website for this podcast, www.makingthebrand.co. Uh, you have all the episodes up there. Uh, we have a little blurb about each of the companies. And uh, hopefully you enjoy it. We'll continue to add content as we go. Might even get in some video or newsletter content. But as Smash Mouth told us, you never know if you don't go. So go check out that website, makingthebrand.co. Apparently, if I repeat it, you're going to remember it better. So makingthebrand.co. I'm going to put it into a little jingle so you can remember it even better. Makingthebrand.co. Anyway, enjoy this episode and see you, talk to you next week. Being a founder can be really lonely and isolating and um, a lot of pressure and, you know, the highs are really high and the lows are really low and sometimes you're switching gears between high and low in like a 20 second time horizon. Welcome, everybody, to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I'm a venture capitalist at Draper Associates. But on this show, we're going to be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Arielle Kay. She teaches us about the direct-to-consumer home goods market, and that thread count actually means very little. So today on the show, we have a fantastic guest. We have Ariel Kay from Parachute Home. Um, Ariel, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. It's good to be chatting with you. Absolutely. So to start off, what is Parachute? Parachute is a home essentials brand. We are based in Venice and we make all sorts of really comfortable products for your home. So think everything from your bedroom, like sheets and duvet covers and pillows and quilts and duvet inserts and feather beds to your bathroom, towels, robes, uh, shower curtains, bath mats. We also do a ton um, of tabletop and baby um, is also one of our collections. And then we've got some decor items and giftable items too. But really, we're a brand that focuses on comfort and quality. And we want you to be able to feel the best in your home and start your end and end your day um, you know, surrounded by soft, cozy things that will just, you know, help you enjoy your time outside of the home. And what are you best known for? What are your, what are some of your sort of best selling products? You know, we started with sheets and that's where, um, you know, so that's what most people know us for, but I would say that, you know, today everything within the bedroom and, and our towels, um, are probably, the two most popular categories. Uh, robes um, have become a fan favorite. We've been selling lots and lots of robes ever since they launched. And I don't know about you, but I'm a robe person. So that was a big deal for me when we introduced them. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive robe person. The, okay. uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how people can survive without them. Uh, if you aren't a robe person and you're listening, <laughs> just try being a robe person because it's almost certainly better. Um, and, I agree. and yeah, take me into the backstory a little bit. How did you get into the home goods world? 
You know, for me, um, it was sort of an interesting path to get there. I have always been obsessed with home and interior design. I uh, have loved to host and have people over. And um, actually, in grad school, I started a home design blog. And so I've sort of been a super consumer and enthusiast for as long as I can remember. Um, was helping friends and family also decorate their homes because it was something that just came naturally to me um, and something that I had a lot of fun doing. Um, professionally, though, my background is in advertising. And so I was working on the strategic side of creative at a big ad agency in New York for many years. Um, hit a wall in 2012 where I just wasn't feeling feeling as connected to my work, um, wasn't seeing a lot of my work end up anywhere, um, unfortunately. And so was just frustrated and, and realized it was time to do something um, new. And so, you know, started thinking more critically about what that would mean. And I had a lot of friends actually join and start their own companies um, around that time and was very drawn to the whole entrepreneurial startup um, world and, you know, really wanted to make an impact, be part of growing something and realized that this could be the perfect opportunity for me to merge my interests in home and um, and also in brand building and connecting with people. So I um, decided to give myself until the end of 2012 to figure out what that would be. And, you know, this is around the time that Warby Parker was gaining momentum and Everlane had launched. And there was a lot of really interesting stuff happening in this direct-to-consumer world, which was sort of uncharted territories, at least for me. Um, and I started thinking more critically about the home um, and realized that the bedroom could be a really interesting place to build a brand, um, at least to start. And so, you know, looked more critically at, at the bedroom and saw that, you know, there was no middle market, there was no brand loyalty. Um, and, you know, most people could tell me what store they went to and not product they bought and um, thread count doesn't actually matter. And, you know, I just got totally consumed with this idea and, um, and then ended up quitting my job two months later and then went to Europe and visited 15 factories and decided to move back to LA to start the business and, you know, hit the ground running. You mentioned briefly thread count. Um, I, I know it's important. I know it's somehow reflective of quality, but can you explain what thread count is? I basically have no frame of reference other than it higher thread count means better sheets, I think. Yeah, so that's actually just a marketing gimmick. Um, it's not what matters when you are looking at quality. And so that was one of those things that when I discovered, I felt like I'd been duped all these years and, you know, felt like maybe other people would want to know why. So uh, we've actually built our business um, not talking about thread count um, because with thread count, anything over 400 is a result of manipulation of the fabric. There's actually, you can't get more than uh, 400 with just a normal weave in that one square inch. So the way that they manipulate that number is by doing double ply and triple ply and um, wrapping the threads. And if you can imagine when you do that, the bedding and the fabric actually gets thicker and coarser to the touch because you're trying to jam a lot more into a small space. And so the way that you compensate for that is by using synthetic finishes that then dissipate after a few washes and then leave you with pilling. So things like a thousand thread count sheets that you know, we've all been programmed to associate larger numbers with quality. It's just not the case here. Um, and in fact, you're often getting a much poor quality uh, fabric, but they're just using this kind of gimmick to create an incremental price um, jump. And so we are focusing on using the finest fabrics, no manipulation of the fibers and, um, and just giving a great product, like straightforward and, and with none of that funny business. 
learn something new every day. <laughs> I'm going to just start going the lowest thread count. I want, th- I want a thread count of 20 or below. I just want just just gaps between the threads. <laughs> How did you decide on the name Parachute? Uh, parachute is inspired by the movement of the fabric when you make your bed. So that billow when you like, you know, move the sheet up to get it to line up, it, it just billows down beautifully like like a parachute. Was there anything else behind that? Did you have any other names in mind when you were thinking about the name? There were definitely some other names um, that we, you know, I thought about and were kind of around. Um, but for me, I really actually, I mean, there were other considerations that went into naming. And one of them is that we really, like, I've tried to build a super gender neutral brand and one that, um, you know, people wouldn't feel weird talking about around the dinner table. And so I just wanted one of those names that was memorable and where everyone could just say, I love Parachute. <laughs> um, and I think we found that actually in our name. Yeah, I think there is something comforting about it. Have you ever used any of your sheets to jump from like a surface of any sort as a parachute? No, and I wouldn't recommend that. (laughs) All right, that's important. Okay, anyone who's thinking about buying parachute sheets, don't do that. Don't jump off your roof. Do not. Okay, I'm glad we disclosed that. Very important. Um, And do the sheets have any consistent identifiable brand characteristics? Could you... Could you call the sheets out of a lineup from, you know, 50 feet away or is it just the overall quality and some of the color choices or is there a border or a logo somewhere where people could do you get like a little bit of that word of mouth viral element when people see each other's bedrooms? Yeah, I mean, I think to be honest, uh, we get people all the time that says this looks like parachute and this is so parachute. And so we're seeing our customers actually respond in that way. We don't have a border or like a P or anything around uh, the actual fabric. Um, but, you know, I think our color palette and um, the aesthetic and our relaxed style um, has become actually quite coveted and noticeable. And, you know, I see our products all the time scrolling through Instagram and then, you know, realize it is our product. And, you know, I certainly can point it out um, of a lineup. Um, I'm not sure that you would be able to per se. Um, But I think, you know, there is a color palette. There is, especially with our linen and some of the fibers that are more relaxed, you know, we definitely have been, you know, kind of taking that vibe and and really running with it in a way that I don't think anyone else has done before. Did you ever have the conversation as to whether or not you should put the logo somewhere? Yeah, we've talked about it. I think it, it, I like, it comes back to me. I don't want that personally on my sheets. Um, and I feel like if I don't want it as the founder, um, that there's gotta be other people who don't want to pee in like on their pillow. Um, you know, and I think like if we were to put it somewhere that I felt was tasteful, it would be so tucked away that I'm not sure that it would serve a purpose. But what I will say is that we have had a ton of virality and we do get a ton of organic traffic. Um, and word of mouth is a really big driver of our business and our growth. And, um, you know, obviously I might be somewhat biased, but the amount of text messages and 
people that come out of the woodwork to say, you know, I just have to tell you that we spent all of dinner with my family and like my extended family for this birthday talking about your sheets because everyone's a fan. I mean, so there are people that are really talking about it. And I think you find that with any product category these days, even the ones that you wouldn't expect to be talking about over dinner. Like if there's a product that you love and you feel like it's having a positive impact on your life, you want to tell your friends, you want to be someone that's, you know, getting people involved in something that you care about. So we're certainly get the virality without having it be, um, you know, splashed across a bedspread. But I will say one of the areas that we have talked about that more seriously are things like our travel um, pillows and travel blankets and things where, you know, you're actually using them in a more public um, space. So stay tuned for that. And outside of the of the you know family talking about it, uh, people noticing it and asking about it, where are you having success finding customers? Um, our marketing mix is pretty diverse at this point. Um, you know, we're really not dependent on any one channel, but you know, we are having a lot of fun with catalogs and podcasts, um, and those are great ways for awareness. We're doing a little bit of streaming TV. Um, we also have stores, so that's been a really fun way for us to drive people in person to connect with the brand and to learn more about our products. And we're rolling out quite a few more stores over the next uh, year and and then beyond that. So, um, you know, we we're really we like to consider ourselves a relationship business, not a transactional business. So we're all about building this emotional connection with our customer, so that we can create you know, the start of what will be a lasting um, relationship. Are you also finding success in the conventional digital channels? I feel like this would lend itself to a pretty good Instagram ad or something along those lines. Yeah, Instagram is certainly, um, you know, a channel we're investing in. We get a lot of people that discover us on Instagram. And, um, you know, a fun fact is that, you know, the home category in Instagram is actually growing 30% faster than the fashion um, category. So it's, you know, that is like a very relevant place. Um, And, you know, I think actually things like Instagram have changed people's behavior uh, because you're sharing pictures of your home in a new way. So people want to refresh more frequently. They want to have a, a vibe in their room that feels more cozy during the winter months and then more bright and airy in the spring and summer months. And, um, you know, so we're seeing this like very uh, dynamic customer interaction that's that's much more frequent. You know, our customers are, are likely to have like five sets of sheets on for one bed, you know, they're, they're definitely super consumers and really love, um, the home and decorating for it. And are your customers impacting your internal decision-making? Are they reaching out to you via social channels or via your website, or just sort of, you know, when they meet you in person and saying, Hey, you know, you should create, you know, uh, it'd be great if we had this, this sheet in this color, or it it would be great if you made, you know, this kind of towel, Yeah, are you you listening to them and, and, and how so? Um, Of course, you know, we've, so my background being that it's in consumer behavior research, I have tried to create as many opportunities for us across every touch point to have these mini focus groups and to be connecting with our customers, asking for feedback, um, using that feedback actually uh, proactively to, you know, and instead of just gathering it for the sake of gathering it, I think a lot of people, um, or it's a lot easier 
it's easy to collect data. It's hard to use it. Um, and so we, uh, we've been really focused on that since day one. So a lot of the products actually that we've introduced have been based on customer feedback. You know, we're seeing what people are searching for on our website. We have a private Facebook group um, where we're, you know, soliciting requests and getting people's takes on new product launches. Um, we do surveys, we do qualitative and quantitative research, um, you know, annually. I mean, we're really, it's something that we believe in will set us apart. Um, and we also like, you know, we want to evolve with our customer. I think that's really key to success and we want to grow with our customer. We're not building a business that you grow out of, we're building a business that you grow with. So that's, um, it's really important. And you mentioned that you have some brick and mortar stores and you're going to be getting more into that game. How, where are they now? Uh, we've got two stores today. So one in Venice and one in Portland, Oregon. And then we're opening a few more over the next three months. And let's talk a bit about the early days. What challenges did you face in the early days? Uh, you know, you're a solo founder in a now more competitive at that time not competitive necessarily from the home goods standpoint, but very competitive from the consumer goods generally standpoint. As you mentioned, um, you know, Warby Parker and Everlane were popping up around the same time. You're dealing with an international supply chain. What, what are the things that you think about when you think about the challenges, the likely many challenges you've had in getting this business to where it is now? I mean, everything was a challenge, to be honest, you know. Um, those days were so much learning um, and doing everything for the first time. So, you know, we didn't have anything historical to base decisions off of. Um, and I am a first time founder at that point. So I didn't have a lot of experience um, to go off of. So for me, I mean, inventory was the biggest thing first and foremost, because, you know, we had nothing to plan against and we had no, um, you know, no knowledge about you know, how things were going to sell. And, um, you know, everything was sort of event based. So we'd get like a big press story and all of a sudden, you know, sell through all of our inventory that we thought would last three months. Um, and you really need inventory to sell inventory, it turns out. So um, we spent the first year really trying to figure out how to plan accordingly, how to get enough inventory in. Um, and, and also, you know, trying to build out a team that could support the growth. Um, but, you know, everything was a learning experience and everything was, you know, a, equally a challenge and an opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's tough. Uh, those days are tough, but they're also fun and it's, you know, just exciting and, you know, so, um, so rewarding too. And was there ever a point early on where you thought about giving up? Oh yeah. All the, I mean, that was happening a ton too. I mean, I think for me, I was, uh, you know, I, I had little expectation, I would say, um, early on, like I, you know, I had high hopes that this would become a huge business, but, you know, I really was just, you know, thinking, you know, more like in a six month, you know, how are we going to get through the next six months? But yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, it, it's being a founder can be really lonely and isolating and, um, a lot of pressure and, you know, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And sometimes you're switching gears between high and low and like a 20 second time horizon. So, um, it's tough, but I think having a really, a strong support system and, you know, a great, you know, network and, you know, taking time for yourself to decompress and, um, it is important and being patient. Uh, it definitely, it took time trying to figure out how to be patient, but 
Um, and on the other on the other side of that coin, was there a moment at which you felt like this is really starting to work in a bigger way than I had imagined? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we, um, you know, there were days where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like for example, four months and maybe five months, and we had this small blurb in the Wall Street Journal, and all of a sudden, you know we sold through all of our inventory in 24 hours and the demand was crazy. And we had, you know, all of a sudden a thousand customers that tried to buy and, you know, this small period of time and a lot of them placed orders and we didn't have, we were just allowing people to buy orders and pre-order items. And, you know, then we realized we'd sold through all of our incoming inventory and, um, you know, it, all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, people really like are, are hearing about this concept and are buying immediately. Like that really means that this is something they've been looking for. They've been wanting for, this is something that's interesting and exciting. And, um, you know, like, wow, this is, this is real. And how have you funded the business, uh, to date? Um, we've raised capital. Um, we've gone the traditional venture route, uh, which has, you know, allowed us to have really great supporters um, and champions of the business. Um, but yeah, we've we've raised money. Um, like I said, it's a capital intensive business. Anything really it, inventory based, especially premium. And did you raise it the money day one, or were you sort of bootstrapping it for a little bit, and then you found some interested investors, or how did the did the cart come before the horse? I um, I raised a, a little bit from friends and family early and that helped get the website up and running and uh but then I actually joined an accelerator um and that gave me a little bit of capital which went basically every penny of it went to buying our my first batch of inventory and then um I raised a seed round about three months after launching and is there uh, I guess there is competition in the space how do you think about competition how do you think about your competition, whether it's the new companies that are trying to copy you and ride your coattails and let you plow the way for them, or whether it's the department store sheets that, you know, the the standard, uh, you know, last 30 or 40 years, how we've gone to buy sheets. How do you, how do you think about your competition? You know, I think um, we, uh, of course, are thinking about competition and, you know, following along about around what our comp- competitors are doing. I think, What's interesting in this category is that this is a $28 billion category. It's really massive. Um, And, you know, we're focused on building the best possible brand there is and building a one-stop shop for all things home essentials. Um, And we are doing it in a way that um, is, like I said, about the relationship. We don't discount. We don't incentivize. We're not cutting corners. We're building a healthy brand um, that will be around for a long time. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting what's happening in the shift from, you know, traditional to digital and, um, that people are more drawn to more, a like experiential, um, like smaller footprint stores. And, you know, I think that's definitely a plus for us. Um, you know, and, and we really believe there's a lot of market share to take from those larger incumbents, um, and, you know, I think, you know, from some of the newer, newer, cumber, newer comers, it's, it's really hard to build a business um, when there's people that have such a, you know, like a long running start. I mean, it's just, you know, we started doing Facebook ads in 2015. It's a whole different world today. Um, and it's really expensive. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a capital intensive business. And I think it's going to be more and more challenging for um, smaller businesses to get bigger share. But, you know, 
we're just going to keep focusing on what we do best and, um, and making our customers happy. And I think there are a lot of waves working in, in your uh, favor. You know, people, I think the, the upcoming millennials, whatever, people graduating from college don't necessarily want to go out to buy anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's going to play to your favor. I think just like you said, um, the category as a whole is growing on Instagram. I think that's an indicator that you're in the right category. Um, and so I, I think those things will a lot of the things that you were worried about comp- competition-wise a few years ago might sort of just fall by the wayside naturally. Um, yeah, I don't exactly. know if that's the case, but that's how I see it. Yeah, I think and, you're right. And, and uh, what does your day-to-day look like uh, today? Um, it looks different every day, to be honest, um, which is part of what I, why I love what I do. Um, but, you know, I'm a super early riser. I like to work out, you know, before 7 a.m. and get to work early, uh, emails. I spend my day in and out of meetings. Um, I'm really focused on the product and the creative side of the business, anything that's consumer facing. And so I'm spending a lot of time with those teams. Um, I'm also, since we're doing a lot of retail stuff right now, I'm working a lot with the retail team um, and planning that strategy and the events and the press and the media surrounding that. Um, but you know, I'm happiest when I'm in the office. I love, I love working with my team. Um, but you know, every day is super different. I, you know, get to do fun things like this podcast, um, on some days too. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's busy, it's hectic, it's full of surprises and, um, you know, that's what keeps it exciting. And what, um, how do you think about the retail side of the business? So you mentioned that you're starting to get into doing deals with retailers, do you do you find that that's a uh, big advantage, sort of being in the in the old school distribution model as well as the new school, or do you find it's uh, tougher because you don't have as much access, direct access to your customers? So, what are you seeing as the advantages of that? So we're actually not um, in any other retailers. So we're opening all all the retail uh, excitement is for our own retail stores. Ah, got it. Okay. Yeah. So we're, um, we actually, for that very reason, have um, decided to focus on opening our own retail stores um, because we do want that relationship with the customer. We do want to be able to, um, you know, know who they are and be able to continue the relationship past the point of purchase. So, um, you know, I think there are pros and cons and we're really focused on just um, getting our own, our own footprint out there. Yeah, I think you get the the random foot traffic is very difficult to quantify. You know, you can be the best digital marketer in the world and not have access to a lot of people that are going to walk by and see some you know a product that speaks to them. So that that, that could be really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and how big is the company now? How many people and are they all based in Venice? So yeah, uh, we're forty three people today. Um, most are in Venice. That does include our awesome retail team in Portland. Um, but yeah, we're, we're mostly besides them all here. And then we actually do have a, and I guess that does include, sorry, New Yorkers, um, our retail team in New York, um, that's getting ready to open our store there. Um, but the headquarters is based in Venice and that's the main office. Must be a really tough place to work. It's definitely not one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Yeah, it's not bad at all. And I live two blocks away, so my commute is also quite good. Um, which for LA, you know, everyone expects it to be horrible, and 
and just have created this pretty nice uh, setup here. One of the benefits of being a founder is you exactly. pick where the business is set up. Exactly. Uh, um, and what is next for Parachute? What does the company look like? I know you're always thinking in, in sort of three-month or six-month chunks, but what, is the, what do you want the company to look like in five years? Do you sell to a bigger brand or do you stay independent or do you – what do you – in your perfect world, what does it look like in five years? Uh, I'm really focused on building the best home brand there is, um, you know, and I think – that's going to look like new products, new categories, new retail stores, um, and we're going to be in hotels and all sorts of fun things. But you know, right now we're really focused on building a truly healthy business from top to bottom, um, and I think we've got the right team and and the right path to do so. Um, but we're we're dreaming big. And now we're going to get into some fun and weird questions. So enjoy. It's a little bit like a, a lightning round, but more so just. To- uh, you'll see. Um, I noticed that your factories are in Portugal, Italy, and Turkey, all incredibly beautiful countries. Is there a chance that you started this business just to be able to have an epic <laughs> Euro, Euro trip every now and then? No, but it is a nice perk. I would imagine so. And what would you be doing if you weren't selling home goods? I'd probably still be working in advertising. If you could choose anyone in the world to endorse Parachute, who would you pick and why? Uh, Michelle Obama, because she's the best. That's so wild. The last interview I did was Barack Obama. Oh, well, there you go. I guess it's not that wild. Um, Have you ever parachuted with a real parachute? I actually have. I have skydiving. I I went skydiving um, a few years ago. Where did you go? It was in Long Island, actually. Oh, wow. I lived in New York. Yeah. It wasn't any place very like tropical or exotic. Okay. And, and I have a marketing idea for you. Instead of conventional packaging, are you ready for this? Yeah. Ripcord. Customer unboxes the sheets, pulls a ripcord, and they explode. Puff of air. I don't know how the science works. I don't know how the mechanics work. But you stick with the parachute theme and it explodes into a puff of air. I'm sure you can work it out. It's yeah. just sort of like a good way oh. to start the, the relationship yeah. with your customer off. Yeah, it's just like a nice, calm welcome to your home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, does anyone at the company say they're doing research but then really just go take a 45-minute nap? Yes. <laughs> That's a g- great job. That's a great job. Uh, and did you ever consider making sheets that tear in the middle – so that you and your partner aren't pulling them back and forth. No, but I will share that in my product meeting that is happening in 30 minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I uh, am so happy for all your success and, and uh, congratulations. Thank you. It was nice to talk to you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Ariel, for coming on the show. And I know you're thinking, you're like, what's that website that he was talking about at the beginning? And it is makingthebrand.co. Makingthebrand.co. See, I hit him with the song again. Makingthebrand.co. Enjoy. Thank you. Talk to you next Tuesday. Love you all.